This is episode number 27 with Marcelo Tubert. Coming up. I give the worst performance you're ever likely to see an actor give. I remember there's a scene where I have to laugh hysterically. As, as my scenes are on there, I'm just slipping lower, lower, lower into my seat. I get to a certain point where I'm, I'm getting divorced. And uh, I, I go to my dad and I said, here are the keys to the BMW. Here are all my credit cards. Thank you so much for this beautiful opportunity you've given me. And but uh, I'm an actor and this is I'm a big boy now. And I jumped off the, the ledge. It's all about the process. Stay out of the results. You have no control. And I mean, there are things that I want. I want. I really yeah, want to get them. And yeah. I try not to think about it. Sometimes they creep in. But basically, after you're done, the audition, you're, you're done. My cup is dry, and recalling my deeds is thirsty work. Who wants to buy the next round, huh? You? <laughs> if you're looking for what it takes to be an actor long-term over the course of your life, then you've come to the right place, and you're going to really enjoy today's episode. Today's guest was born in Argentina, moved to L.A. at a young age, felt very lost with his career, almost quit after his first TV role, and eventually booked a job that changed his life. Hey there, this is Nathan Egan, and welcome to The Working Actor's Journey, connecting you with lifelong professionals. Today's guest is Marcelo Tubert, an award-winning actor who has worked across film, TV, and theater, and done lots of voiceover work, including plenty of English dubbing for Netflix shows. This podcast is designed to show you how the work is done, what the realities of the working actor life are like, and to share all the different ways actors have come to this career. There is no one path and no single answer. We want to learn from all of those further down the road, to shorten the learning curve, and to discover what helps and what doesn't when it comes to having a lifelong career as an actor. So our guest today, Marcelo, has been a working actor for 40 years, with over 160 IMDb credits across film, TV, and voiceover, plus all the unlisted video game and dubbing work he's done. He received the 2005 Ovation Award as Best Supporting Actor for his work in San Fran Scapan, an adaptation of Moliere Scapan, and is a founding member of the Antilles Theatre Company. He recently appeared on episodes of Star Trek Picard and Disney's Diary of a Future President. It's a great chat, plus we get a quick look at Marcelo's process with a voiceover audition for a video game, and you'll hear what he sent in. Quick reminder. Don't miss our current rehearsal room workshop with Rando Duk Kim and Annie Ogiogrosso. They are taking you through how to use the first folio in Shakespeare, something they have been doing for 50-plus years. Do you know what commas and semicolons tell the actor? There is so much to glean that gives you tons of opportunities and choices and will make your performances so much more rewarding and memorable. There are a couple days left to be part of the virtual audience where you can attend live or watch the replays. Head to workingactorsjourney.com to find out more and sign up. We also have the new free guide to download called Keys the Pros Use to Unlock Any Script. This shares the actual questions, approach, and process the professionals use when working on any material, plays, scripts, audiobooks, and more, from those who've done this work. 
Bonus, you'll also receive the full Working Actors Journey kit, including all the other guides and more. There's wisdom from past guests Armin Shimmerman, Elizabeth Dennehy, and Tony Amendola, along with director Brendan Fox, dramaturg Gideon Rappaport, and more. Get your copy of the guide now at workingactorsjourney.com slash sign up, and there's also a link in the episode description. And finally, if you're really enjoying this podcast, you can become a patron. Starting at just $2 per month, get exclusive access to behind-the-scenes and additional content and be a part of taking this show to the next level. And for those who join at the co-star level or higher, just $5 or more per month, you also receive a 10% discount on our workshops and programs, including our current workshop with Randall and Annie. A shout-out and thank you to one of our newest co-star patrons, Joan. Yes, you could hear your name in a future episode. Okay, back to the chat with Marcelo. I am so glad I've had the opportunity to connect with him more over the past couple of years and involve him in the workshops we've been doing, like King John and The Merchant of Venice, which you can check out on the podcast and YouTube. He is such a funny, humble, and kind individual. It was fascinating to hear about his early years in Argentina, the many ups and downs, and all the relationships, mentors, and teachers who helped him along the way. We covered a lot of ground, so get ready for a very full ride. A lot of laughs, too. So here we go with episode number 27. Please enjoy my chat with Marcelo Tubert. We started season three of Money Heist, you know, right. I, and and I remember you had mentioned you were in that, and I'm like, I'm like, I don't think I've seen the character because we we watch it with Spanish with the subtitles, which so, is how that's how I watch all foreign things. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I went I went back because I remembered um, I know Asaf Cohen a little bit, and I'd seen his name in the dumbing credits, and I went back to the scene. I'm like, I think he plays the governor, and I and I listen. I'm like, as soon as the governor started talking, I'm like, oh yeah, that's totally Marcelo. Yeah, and. How, like, did that project just come from an audition or you, you, or, I mean, I know there are like groups and looping groups and all the dubbing groups and all this kind of stuff. Like once you're in, you're in, but w- w- where did that I, one come I, from? I, uh, I think I auditioned for that role. The director's Matt Kohler, who I now have had, I have a long association of working with him. He just basically cast me. Anyway, so Matt Kohler is the, the dub director, amazingly a creative man. You know, he's a musician and uh, director just many things. And Mm -hmm. so we got got really hit it off. And so I pretty much, you know, I've done leads and there's another show I'm really, really proud of that I did this uh, kind of the lead inspector in this uh, series, a Spanish series. I'm not going to even remember the name of it, but (laughs) I've done so many of these now. But this was one particular, particularly, what the hell was the name of that? Oh, Oh, it may come to me. Is it, is it on your IMDb? Because I can always. No, I, can pull I don't that know out. if those things show up on my IMDb. It might actually. And it was a, it, it was kind of a Columbo. We we finally figured out he was kind of a Col- Col- older Columbo kind of guy. Oh right, because I know what you mean. Like sometimes they don't list the dubbing yeah. work. On, yeah, I, it's I know called. You, you know, I'll text him. I'll text him <laughs> while we're talking. And and uh, see. Yeah. So I just sent it off to him. So yeah. Okay. So yeah. A lot of these. Um, Netflix says I'm kind of. Oh, one of the projects I was recommended for, you know, to just do. 
Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, I'm working with about six or eight directors right now. I just get booked. Sometimes I have leads. Sometimes I just, I go in and do three characters or four characters and a little and, walla. And, and so like by just, you know, by being booked, I, I assume it's a sense of like, they are just, you know, familiar with your work. They're, they're, they're confident yeah. that, you know, you can, you know, they, like I, they know yeah. what you can do. And, and so they're like, yeah, let's get Marcelo in. I can deliver. Right. right. And then right. A, a project just recently, they said uh, Netflix came back with, you know, he's just all over the place. He's a little <laughs> overexposed. <laughs> Give me a Marcelo Tuber type. I mean, I just dropped in a series uh, yesterday called Elves. Okay. I said Norwegian, I think. Uh-huh. And I played a really different kind of, you know, this kind of big He-Man kind of tough man of few words, which is not good for dubbing, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as they don't pay you, uh, pay you per, per word, it's just a, it's no, a session well, fee. Well, <laughs> you know, the, the dubbing, I, I, I am particularly good at dubbing. Uh, you know, we talked about instincts before. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with dubbing, I don't see things ahead of time, basically. I'm on the job. I go to the studio mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they play me the first, they tell me what the story is. They play the first scene. And so in dubbing, you have to kind of, it's instant acting. Right. You have to feel what that, you're not creating it. You, I mean, right, you are creating right. it in English, but yes, you have yeah. to fit the emotional state, the, the, the level of, of volume state, everything that what you're seeing on screen. I'm able to look at a scene pretty much once mm-hmm. and then I'm ready to go. Yeah, and I start, and I'm very good at lip syncing. It also it's a very collaborative process because sometimes the translations aren't that good, or there's mm. a line. You know, I always know when I'm trying to get a line in a character's mouth, and I, and I I stumble over it. And I think like many times it's because the translation is not right. Right. Well, and 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 that that you know that's certainly like a a value add service that you bring. You know, knowing Spanish as well as you do, that you're just like you know you you know what the character's actually saying. And yes, yes, so but, spoke- it, I, but, but the dubbings I do are Norwegian, French, I guess Brazil. I it doesn't matter. <laughs> the only thing I can help in those areas is sometimes if I'm doing like in Money Heist with Matt, who's just this amazing collaborative director. Yeah. They all are really. Everybody that I've worked with is just amazing. Is I, I will have, I said, you know what? Play that again for me. Let me see what the Spanish is. Right. Oh, and then okay. I get, oh, that, and he, he knows a little bit of Spanish too. So he, he has a script. And we're able to figure it out. And many times that's it. And in today's, you know, the old time dubbing mm-hmm. was very fake and phony. The right, acting, right. you know, it sounded yeah, like yeah. something that was dubbed right in the old days. Well, today they're looking for that. That, that It's that character, the reality of right. emotional life. And also the interesting thing is that when you're recording, you record, you got to record with the volume that the character is giving in the original language. Mm, okay. And so you get that by li- listening to it. And, and sometimes, you know, they're in a close up in here or just in the eyes. It's right. really intimate mm. and you're not projecting. You're, you're talking like this and you just, it's just not that it's just because that's what the character's doing. Right. And so it's, it, it, do you, do you find like, you know, cause I, I haven't done a lot of animation work or anything like that, but you know, I know sometimes clips I've seen or whatever, people are giving a lot of options. And then they'll just edit it later, pick the one they want. Like with the dubbing work, is it pretty much, you know, you do it and maybe there's a little bit of an adjustment from the director. You do it again and then that's it. You're not, you're not giving them 10 options. No, 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 no. I mean, basically if, you know, I do it through and also when I listen back, I can, I I always want to listen back before we, because they do a take and then they make sure everything fits because it's all digital, you know, so Mm -hmm, the engineer's mm -hmm. in there. 
you know, so maybe they're, like editing, little... they're doing it like in real time almost. Exactly. Yeah. And so if they, they, they always usually do a backup because they need to have a backup and something, mm-hmm. something else to choose from. And sometimes I'll hear and I go, you know what? I think I can do that better. There's something there. I can, I can hear it. I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've become so fine tuned to it and they let me play. And so basically you just do one or two and, and the directors are, are really, you know, are really great about because they're seeing the overall picture. Mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. telling you, you know, yeah, I think there, you know, you need to be a little, a little stronger or whatever the direction right, is. Right. And so I, 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 it's not a lot of money. It's our worst SAG contract that we have. But really, I, huh. yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> in the life of real people, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good money of because course, it's, yeah, it's, sure. it's $130 an hour with a two hour minimum. And sometimes okay. I'm there for half an hour. Right, right, right. So in any, anybody's world, that's good money. Sure. But in really in the world of show business and the voiceover, it's, it's not, and there are no residuals because it's now it's a buyout. It's, right. it's gotten better. It used to be $50 an hour, $65 an hour, but I do it gladly. It is a workout as an actor. A lot of Antians uh, doing this, you know, right. yeah. John Demita is oh, the one sure. that got, He's the one that got me started. Okay, yeah, I knew. I I know. Like fifteen years ago, I remember talking to John about yeah, he was doing loop group. Well, that um, is, loop group is different, right? I, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah the, right. the Walla Walla and all. Like, right, I I know that, is, but I know he was involved even you know back then, and 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 you know had gone on to you know he's I think he's directed a bunch of things. Yeah, now he's got he's got a big promotion. He's like the head of dubbing or something. Like oh, okay, cool. And so, and do do you? Like, do you have any relationships with like executives at Netflix? Have you like, you know, met any of them, stayed in, you know, touch or anything like that? Or is it? All... There's like, the, uh, no, uh, the, yes and no. There's one guy yeah. that I met through Matt yep. who is in charge of, I think, I think his Netflix dubbing. And I see him every once in a while, but I have no sure. relationship. Although, yeah, yeah. you know, the uh, money heist was such a the number one show when we, when I started working on it that they, Netflix had us that. A bunch of the people who did the dubbing over to their offices to watch an episode. Oh, cool. And talk about it. And they had their people. There probably were 200 people in the room. And, and, and I think, I think we talked about this, you know, at, at one point, but, you know, just, I, I remember seeing data of like how many people are, are tuning into these dubbed versions of shows. And, you know, it's like, it's just, I mean, not only is money, money high specifically kind of a global phenomenon, but this, this the fact that you know people are not watching things in the original language they want to watch them in in their native language which is so foreign uh, I, I i'm not trying to make a pun there but it's so foreign to me to to do that because i'm just like well no i want to hear it in the spanish or i want to hear it in the french or the japanese or whatever it is i you know i'm with you because i think that's where the acting those people created this thing right yeah. so whether good or bad that's it but, you know, the reason uh, I'm working so much is because America is lazy. They <laughs> don't like to read. They don't like to read subtitles. Yeah, I know. You know? It's, it, it's funny because I, when I was watching one of the scenes that you were in, you know, there's a couple other characters like Nairobi was in there in Tokyo. And it's, you know, sound is such a fascinating thing because I was talking to music that when you hear a song a certain way, that if you hear like an early jam session and it sounds different, you know, it just sounds weird and bad because you've become so accustomed to a certain way that song is performed. Even if the artist does like a live version, it's mm-hmm. like, eh, play it on, play it like on the album. Like, that's what I want to hear. So it, it's fascinating to me that when they, they're doing this dubbing stuff, you know, they cast actors that sometimes had such different qualities to their voice than the original actors. Now, maybe with, you know, your character, the governor, I hadn't been, you know, spending hours and hours with him already. Why? So it's like, 
Well, no, because oh, it was just, oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> because he's introduced in season three. Yes. But like, yeah. so, you know, you, you have all season one and two to get accustomed to all these other people that when you hear a different voice, it's like, you know, if it's, if it's much higher in timber or whatever, it's like, that's an interesting, almost just creative decision that they went, you know, they didn't try to find like, you know, a huskier female voice for this person because that was the original, you know, and I don't know. I just, I was having this conversation that it's just, you, you feel like, well, the original actors, they have such like, you know, nuanced voices or interesting qualities to their voices. You know, why wouldn't people want to listen to that? Or if you're going to do the dubbing, why not, you know, try to find good actors that also have similar, you know, qualities to their voice? I think what they do is they find good actors. You yeah. know, Dorit Simone, who's one of the casting directors I'm friends with, and mm-hmm. she, she loves theater actors. Mm, she okay. loves theater actors because they bring, they bring it, right? They bring it. Yeah. And, and what happens is people who listen to dubs. Yep. My voice is the voice of the governor. They don't, right. they, 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 yeah. they, then they play the original. They go, Oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> you know, because they become accustomed. Exactly. To what yeah. They become a, accustomed to. Right. It, it's the same thing that I'm going through, but just in the reverse. Now, you know, when I'm, whenever I've traveled in South America, there, are, there are different parts of that country you know, that the Spanish can sound so, you know, I mean, based on regionalisms. Like I remember in Cartagena, I was just like, I'm pretty sure they speak Spanish here, but I do not know what these people are saying. It was it was like so fast and had a lot of coastal influences and all this kind of stuff. Do, do you find that like, you know, just you watching different shows and movies like is there do you have to kind of attune your ear to the Spanish that people are talking? Yes. Yes, yeah. because Spanish is the sound from each country. Mm-hmm. And even within the country, you know, I'm from Argentina. So, right. Yeah. Right. So in in Buenos Aires. The, the, the Spanish was really influenced by the Italian immigration. Okay. So when they speak, no, decime una cosa, che, la cosa es que, vos sabes, no, vino, vino este muchacho, Nathan Egan, para hacer una entrevista, pero no, no, no me hinche las pelotas, oh, it sounds Italian, you know? And then, where I was born in Córdoba, los cordobeses hablan así porque el Nathan me está haciendo una entrevista con, it's a, it's a totally different thing. And within, even within countries, within the country, right? The colloquialisms and mm-hmm. the as language evolves, right? It's it's so different, and so expressions that you hear. You know, I dubbed on. I mean, I dubbed. I I did the looping, the ADR work mm-hmm. on uh, all five seasons of Narcos. You know, oh, really? We were, okay. we were in Colombia, and we had some my couple of my friends. Three of them were Colombians, and so I picked up that accent to work on that show. And of course, the, the idioms, the, mm. the names of vegetables, the way you swear. Right, it, right. Are totally different. Cartagena is different than, yeah. you know, the capital and it's yep, different yep. than Medellin. And, right. you know, right. Um, and you can, and you can find, you know, I, I guess what they would call, especially somebody learning the language that there are definitely pockets where you can find a, a pure Spanish. That doesn't mean that's not a comment on like whether it's good or bad, but just like for somebody listening. To learn the language, it's like, yeah, this is, you know, this is kind of what you would hear, you know, in terms of a, a textbook Spanish. That would be, Col- that would be Colombia. Yeah. Bogota, you know, yeah. The, the capital. Right. 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 Because that is a pure, it's kind of unaccented. It's a very neutral mm-hmm. sound. I mean, not totally. You can tell Colombians, of course, like Argentinians can tell accents, you know, that they're right or not. But it is the Colombian, I think they, 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 um, pride themselves on having a, just a pure yeah, yeah, yeah. sound. Now, you know, obviously the Money Heist show all takes a place in Spain, but 
for for your ear, can you can you kind of place the actors? Like, I mean, I don't are they all? I don't know if they're all Spanish actors or if, or if you're, you're yeah. listening, you're like eh, that guy is not from Spain, you know? Or no, that they're, girl. They're, yes, I do pick that up. I, I'm trying to remember because I've not watched yeah. I've not watched that show, so I I mean I've just have watched my, sure, my yeah. things that right. I've done, but I have watched Spanish movies in the original language, and all of a sudden, oh my God, that actor's Argentinian. Right, right, okay. Yeah. So, or, or they're within Mexican movies, you find, yeah. you know, different accents. I mean, I mean, I guess, you, you know, it, it's probably similar to like in the States, you know, you can hear, you can hear Southern accents or regionalisms and, and things like that. Or, or, you know, in a more extreme example, like, you know, Creole, yeah. even down in like Belize, where the language is English primarily. I mean, there's Caribbean influences and Jamaican influences that, and, and like you said, like the idioms that it's just like, even when they're speaking English, it's just like, I don't know what you're saying. You know, I, yeah. I, I know you're speaking English, but it's just that. I, I, you know, I, I've made a career of doing accents. Oh, yeah. And uh, I used to have a, a, a wonderful teacher named Gordon Hunt, who's Helen Hunt's dad. And, oh, okay. Uh, cool. I, I was in his class for nine years, an amazing man. And uh, what his take on accent was people don't know. Just commit to what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Which is true. You, you just, you come up with a sound. Because right. there's so people who speak other languages and then learn English right. have different accents in English. Right, right. I mean, there's some that are just kind of standard and you can, mm-hmm. you know, you need to have them identified right away. Right, right. But, well, and, and, and I, I mean, I do audiobook work and, and a, lot, a lot of it is, and I would imagine it's probably similar in like, you know, the work you're, you know, a, a suggestion of the accent is plenty. Yes. You know. Like, you know, and you don't need to sound like, uh, you know, Boris and Natasha or whatever. It's just like, just, Boris, just a little darling, Where is moose and squirrel? Yeah, you don't. Exactly. <laughs> now, you, you mentioned Argentina. I wanted to, I wanted to, to start there because I know that's where you were born and you're going to have to say the city again because I know I'm not going to say it. But Cordoba? Was Cordoba. That's very good. Cordoba. Okay. All right. I guess, I guess, I guess I'm, I'm a quick learner. But in Cor- Cordoba, you, you grew up what? The first seven years there, you were saying before? Yeah. Oh, uh, seven years. Uh, so Cordoba is the second largest city in Argentina. Mm-hmm. It's the, you know, it's the seat of unrest. Whenever unrest starts, it always oh, starts really? in Cordoba because it's a, it's a, it's a college town. I mean, oh, it's not a town. Okay. It's a huge, yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, huge metropolitan. We call Boston uh, a college town, right? Yeah. yeah same exactly. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, seven years, you know, so it, English is actually my second language. When I came here, I didn't speak English. What what do you what do you remember from growing up in Argentina? I mean, like, was there a lot of family around? Was, was yeah, it just... I mean, I had my mom and my my aunt and lo- lots of their friends. My uncle, mm-hmm. my dad was here oh, for okay. a couple of years. That was eventually we came here too. And I, I mean, I have vivid memories when I was three, almost four years old, when Perón was overthrown. Mm. And the, you know, the, during that revolution, there was a machine gun nest at our corner. Wow. You hear bombs at night. You hear gunfire. My, you know, my whole families are, are they're all leftists. You know, you know, my grandfather was was a, a Jewish communist atheist, but my, but my uncle, you know, was you know would ride around in a motorcycle during this, and my aunt, they, they weren't married yet, but you know, we were all worried sitting outside on the stoop because my uncle was past curfew and he wasn't home. Oh. And and then I have wonderful memories too of, of of my mom's friends who were all, you know, many of them artists, painters, and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. musicians and writers and actors. So I had a I have a, a pretty strong feel, you know, what, what, those those things that are imprinted at an early age, you know, culturally. Mm-hmm. And my parents made a really did a really good job when we came to the United States of not allowing my sister and I to speak English in the house. 
Oh, okay. Where many okay. of their friends, yeah. you know, wanted to blend in. So their kids, they spoke English. Be- and because of that, we maintained our Spanish, our bilingualness very strong, which wouldn't have happened if they had not put that. That was a rule in the house. Right, I mean, it, right, it was right. a hard, fast rule. So with my, <laughs> with my parents, we still speak Spanish, a little more Spanglish these days. Yeah, with, sure. with my sim- siblings, we speak English with each other. It always feels weird to speak Spanish with them. And my brother, who's uh, 12 years my junior, was born here. He didn't learn English until he went to school, kindergarten. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, like, back in Argentina, you know, I know you said your, your dad was in the U.S., but, like, what were, your, what were your parents doing when you were growing up there? Well, my mom was uh, an actress. Okay. I mean, she worked. Uh, he didn't make a living being an actor in Córdoba. Okay. So it was, you know, what they call it, a, it's a hobby, right? Okay. Yeah. But she was a member of a theater group. She had a kids radio show. Yeah. 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 She worked, a, she worked as a secretary in a medical, a doctor's office, but was surrounded by art. My mom, hmm. my dad was more business and kind of guy. So I, I made my first stage debut at three years old. You may not know this. I, I, not, I don't know ma- this now. Not many people know this in Garcia Lorca's Yerma. Okay. So, you know, Yerma is the story about this, this woman and she, she yearns to, to be a mother and have children. I mean, it's a bigger story than that, but <laughs> there's, <laughs> there is a dream. I, I'm only talking about from my perspective as an actor. Of course. Right? Yes, at yes. three years old, right? <clears throat> so there's a dream sequence where <clears throat> Yerma dreams about this little boy she can't, can't have. Mm-hmm. And so there was a visiting company. I don't, I don't know from where that was doing the play and the little boy got sick. <laughs> So they threw the, the little white dream thing on me right, and yep. uh, pushed me out on stage and just walk <laughs> across and look at your mother or look at this woman on stage who's there dreaming and look at her and then continue on, walk across. So that was my big debut. Uh, and then I retired from the theater <laughs> after that uh, performance. It was your first retirement. Yeah. Yeah, it was my first retirement. My only retirement, really. And, and then, you know, until I got to high school. And, and so do you like, did you have, do you feel like the seed was planted at that time with acting or, or like, what else were you interested in? What else were you like? I mean, I know you're only a kid, but still. Yeah. I, I really don't know because I don't really remember it. I just from the stories, I don't, I don't yeah. really have, a, I mean, I have like a, you know how memories sometimes you, Wonder if they're real or not. Mem- real. Memories are, are like uh, what, what is it? Uh, Gabriel, well, Spanish writer, but Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Garcia, well, yes, it's like his his works are all memory. What are they called? Like yeah. memory play or something? yeah? I, I mean, there's, I can't remember the term, but it's not, like not, they're, they're 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 like the the dream awake state. It's like you're not exactly sure what's real. Yeah, so I'm not sure what's real or not, but that I have that memory, and I don't know. I mean, I think just being around my mom and her friends, and then as I got into. Uh, I was a really good student till I got into high school and I just hated school. I, you know, really? I, was, I was a C, D, and F student. Really? I, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, was that, was that just because you were bored or you weren't getting the material or? or? You no, know, I don't know. It was not, it was not a happy, not a happy time in the sense of school. I just was lazy. Oh, okay. Although that being said, I was a big reader. Hmm. So, you know, and if I was interested in a class, I would get a C, you know. <laughs> like I took a biology class. One of my favorite teachers was a biology teacher. Really? Yeah, because okay. he says, you know, you're gonna. I'm gonna teach you how to. Um, what did he say? I'm gonna teach you how to make sense of things, and as a okay. result, you're yeah. gonna learn biology. 
But I, you know, I never turned in work. I never turned in reports. And, and as I went deeper into high school, I did less and less of that. And, and how did your parents respond to that? I mean, like, yeah. did they, did they, were they very aware of it? Did they know? Yeah. Yeah. They weren't very happy. You know, I was, you know, I was a big, were you, you know, just was, rebellious, Marcelo? Was yeah. That, I was, was rebellious. I was part, you know, I was a member of SDS back in junior high school. We were protesting the, the mm-hmm. war. I was very active in, in the anti-war movement. Okay. Cool. And, uh, and, but, but I was, I was a swimmer in high school and that kept my interest. And the other, and the drama department kept my interest. Oh, okay. Was, so you started I, doing theater then? In, in yes, in, in the eleventh grade, and uh, we had I, I st- when mime was still a, it burgeoning, just at the beginning of its thing. Hmm. We had a mime troupe. Now you said you said your dad had been in the U.S. Was was mm-hmm. was that like a conscious that like did your family want to get out of Argentina or like what was that? What was it, that? Whole... It was a family a drama. That, oh, really? Yeah, that that caused the my parents to break up, and it was over my mom wanting to be an actress. And what now, you know, my dad was, you know, old school, you know, Jewish, Hispanic, macho man. He said she should be home with the kids, right? Mm-hmm. That's, and, but, but that goes back to my dad's history of, of course, yeah, being sure. kind of abandoned as a young man and, mm-hmm. and not being, not having family. And all he wanted was family. And you know, all of a sudden he has a family and my mom is an artist, you know, and it, it wasn't to his liking. And he, so, so it, well, so did did your mom not come with you to the states? Like, did she stay in Argentina? No, no, no. So, no. It's a really, really. We could do just two hours on this. So, let me see. I don't know if there's any way to really. Cond- I can condense it a little bit. Okay, all right. I, I didn't know if it was like a business opportunity or no, something. No, no, the no. Now. My dad. My dad was his father. Huh, my grandfather, yeah, paternal grandfather and grandmother were yeah. Russian, born in Russia, and okay. came to the United States. And moved to an enclave in the south. There was a huge Jewish enclave. And I can't remember the state. Mm, okay. And they had families. And they met each other and eloped, left their families. Wow. And went to Argentina where he, my, my grandfather had his, his cousin. Mm, and okay. so my, my father and his brother were born there. And when my dad was five, he, Ewell Tubert, my grandfather, came to the United States, left that family again. And came to Los Angeles. And so, so my dad was raised by an uncle who was this really an asshole for lack of better words, <laughs> just a dominating tyrant, yeah. but a, a, a millionaire in the wine industry. He had a oh, self-made okay. man who came from Russia and didn't have a scent and developed a way to uh, recycle wine barrels from all over the country and became mm. a millionaire and, and had tuber, big tubert vineyards and my dad kind of grew up like that but without without a dad and his mom wasn't too involved so if we flash forward to this time with to my mom and dad and they're having a yeah. tough time and my they split up and my dad writes to chief of police parker in, the, in los angeles that he's looking for his father one yule tubert who mm-hmm. last known resident is somewhere in Los Angeles. Yeah, wow. This is like 1957, 58. Okay, wow. And he gets a letter back. Yeah, we find your, your father's here. This is his address, and this is his phone number. And my father reaches out to him and comes to the United States to look for his father, looking for family. You know, things are not going well in his wow. in his life with my mom. And then after, you know, two, three years go by, and he's kind of at a low point. My mom is at a low point, and my dad writes, writes her, I want you to come to Los Angeles with the kids and let's uh, give it another try. And my mom, the fierce lioness that she is, says, if I come to Los Angeles, it's not to try. We're doing this thing. (laughs) 
So in 1959, we came to, to the United States. Wow. So did you, were you, did you see your dad at all during that time? Was he yes. coming back? At, yes. Know? One time within the two and a half, three years, because he had taken my sister with him to Los Angeles. And that, oh, okay. Wow. And he finally, it just, it, it was too hard. And he came yeah, yeah. back to Argentina and dropped her off and came back here. Did uh, And I, did my, you, my big thing to my mom as we were flying, well, I, you know, she always tells a story of which. Am I, I would say to her, I said to her, would, am I going to recognize Papi? You know, am yeah. I going to recognize him? One other interesting side note. Yeah. See, course. I'm telling you, we could just do a whole thing on this, right? <laughs> I don't know if it's interesting to everybody, but it's interesting to me. It's interesting uh, to me, yeah. We were one of the last flights into Havana because we came here in April. Oh, And God. in May, wow, yeah. Castro shut it down. Holy cow. And we wow. went, you know, we, we were on a, a, we were on a prop plane from Buenos Aires to Havana. And actually, we took off in a storm and had to go back. And my great-grandmother, who was in tears when we left and knew she would never see mm-hmm. us again, who spoke Spanish with a Yiddish accent, she, she, she said, she was a Nathan, I can lean the chico, digo yo. That's how she spoke. She was just amazing. And, uh, she, uh, and she, when we flew back and got off the plane, she says, oh, you're, you're back so soon. <laughs> then we flew to Havana and then... I had, I remember, and I remember that because it was the first time I had seen a coconut and we, cause that we got off the plane, we deplaned into this wherever the little mm-hmm. cafe and I had coconut ice cream and half a coconut. Oh, cool. Man, thing. that would have been a really interesting, uh, side journey if you had been stuck in uh, Havana for, uh, you know, 10 years or something. Yeah. You know, a, a bunch of Jews, which there were a lot of Jews <laughs> stuck in Havana who, who got out with only the, you know, the clothes on their back. Right. God. Well, it, it, do you, do you feel like looking back, that was a, like, uh, a very pivotal time in terms of, you know, not having both your parents around? Do you feel like that affected you in, in ways that, you, you know, you became aware of later. Yeah, yeah. I think it, ha- it gave me a sadness during mm-hmm. that period. And my mom talks about it and asthma and things. Just, I was kind of a frail kid at that mm-hmm. time. But my mom said that when I, we came here, I burgeoned. I just, I just, where my sister got more inward, she was more outward, became more inward. I became mm-hmm. more outward and all that. What, what part of LA were you in? We uh, moved to Pomona. Okay. Which back then was like leave it to Beaverland, you know, oh, very, okay. very white neighborhood. Did uh, you, yeah. Did you feel like, like, did you feel any trouble, you know, joining this new Los Angeles culture or, you know, did you feel like an outsider or were you just like, yeah, bring it on. I'm, I'm, I'm here. It was joyous. Yeah. It was an amazing place to transition because we lived in this neighborhood where, you know, in the summer you ran around barefooted, you went to the wash to get polywogs and raise them to frogs and they probably all died, whatever. And, and, you know, the neighbors uh, would bring over food, whatever. It was, a, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. was, a, it was a glory. I learned how to play stickball. I learned how to speak English, you know, came here on a, on a, like on a Wednesday and on Monday I was in school wow. where nobody spoke Spanish, no teachers, mm-hmm, no anybody. Mm-hmm. So it was a, an odd, odd thing. So, um, I mean, it also sounds like, did you feel embraced by the community and the school? Like, did, Yeah, you, we know? were totally, we were totally embraced. It was just, I mean, to, to give you an idea of what, how white this is. And I, I consider, my, by the way, I consider myself a white person. I'm a really? Hispanic. Do I look like a person of color to you? I mean, I just, I, it's a weird, don't even get me started on that stuff. No, I am a white person who was born in Argentina, lives huh, in the United okay. States. 
I never considered myself anything else, and I didn't feel yeah. anything different when I was in Pomona. But we had a, a neighbor across the street who said, we were very worried when we heard an Argentinian family was going to be moving into the neighborhood because we thought you were black. Oh, geez. I mean, so, so it was that... Yeah, you know, 1959, right? I know, I know, because um, whenever the rain, God, what's the play that takes place? A raisin in the sun, like you know, it's that kind of thing of like, oh, all these families, like, oh, you know, we got to start moving out of here because you know, oh, oh, you know, these these black families are moving in, and you know, yeah, we, we got to get out of here. It's like, but no, I, come so, on, but no. I didn't feel any different than my. I say it's a white neighborhood, and right. we fit into the white neighborhood, right? Yeah, I mean, but it's a white neighborhood because there were no people of color. Yeah. There were no, it was, you know. Well, and I mean, I think you bring up an interesting point because it also seems like, you know, and I don't want to paint too broad of a stroke here, but, you know, not seeing yourself as a person of color, I think seems to be also a bit of a a generational perspective that, you know, like there are probably people, you know, under 30 or whatever that if they're Argentinian or, or Hispanic might consider themselves people of color, whereas you know, for you, it just wasn't part of the makeup of. You know. I mean, there in Argentina, you go to Argentina. You know, that, yeah. first of all, the indigenous population was pretty much wiped out by the Spaniards, but they're still, yeah. they're still. A, a, they call them los negros, the blacks okay. in, in, in oh, Spanish, okay. right? But they they are darker skinned, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. indigenous from the you know working class blue yeah. collar people in in Argentina, but we weren't. That we yeah. we were you know Europe of European descent mm-hmm. and just yeah. who landed in Argentina you know and then we right, right. we came here and I I mean I I didn't get a you know sense of that I was any different than anybody else sure yeah. junior high school when I wanted to date a girl named Benny Reynolds we lived in Hancock Park as my dad got more and more successful okay. and her her dad said you're not going out without Mexican and I thought like <laughs> what does that mean. You know, it was a well, derogatory and, thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and now you, you referenced your last name as Tubert. Was that, was that how, is that the local or the Argentinian pronunciation or has that been kind of American? Well, is no, that what you guys? It's, it's after many, many generations in Russia for many generations. Right. And then during the pogroms, yeah. got out. So what, what kind of work did your dad do that he was progressing <laughs> and doing pretty well? Well, my dad is, is a survivor and it just yeah. never gives up. You know, he worked, he's 95 now. I think he worked till he was 90. Jeez, wow. And in several careers. But my dad, you know, when we came here, it was a, a struggle bus. In Spanish, it's tubert. You tubert, okay. Tubert. But okay. It, it's really from the Pyrenees, it's tuber. Right? Because okay. the family was started out in the, in the, the region between Spain and, and uh, France. And then during the, the Inquisition, <laughs> They got the hell out. <laughs> you know, Jews on the run, I always say. And they ended up uh, after many, many generations in Russia for many generations. Right. And then during the pogroms, yeah. got out. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so what what kind of work did your dad do that he was, you know, uh, progressing <laughs> and doing pretty well? Well, my dad is is a survivor and it just yeah. never gives up. You know, he worked, he's 95 now. I think he worked till he was 90. Jeez, wow. And in several careers. But my dad, you know, when we came here, it was a, a struggle bus. And here he was with his family. We had a, he bought a house with this in Pomona. You know, wow. we, I had never even, I had seen TV one time when I had gone to Buenos Aires with my, to my grandmother's and we went to an appliance shop. 
Mm-hmm. You know, here we, were, we had a house and we had a TV. My mom had, we had a phone. In Argentina, okay. we had yeah. been on a list for a phone. My mom for like four, three, four years, oh, never geez, had wow. one. And then my mom was here with a phone and she had no one to call, <laughs> ironically. What was the question? I got off on this tangent. What your dad, what, what your dad oh, was what doing. Oh, what my dad did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we were in Pomona, right, which before the 60 freeway, for those people who know Los Angeles, it was from downtown Los Angeles to Pomona was roads. You know, there was no okay. freeways yeah. or anything. And my dad worked as, he drove trucks, sand trucks. Mm. He worked in a gas station for a dollar an hour. He worked mm. as a, learn how to draw mail order, mail thing. And uh, eventually, my dad's a born salesman. And he, he always remember him saying that, you know, if you sell shoes, you get commission on shoes. Mm-hmm. So he was looking for a big ticket item that he could sell. Yeah, sure. So get bigger commissions. And in the, in the sixties, there was a big move in the Los Angeles construction business of uh, on your lot construction. So he would go into the areas of like Downey, Cudahy, Bell Gardens, wherever there was a Hispanic population, because his mm-hmm. English was not good. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would go to, he'd, he'd do the research and find areas where you could have more than one house or more than one unit. And he'd knock on the door and he'd say, hey, you know, do you ever think of adding, we could build a house for this much money. You could hmm. rent it, blah, blah, blah. And he would sell that and he would get $250 wow. a unit. And so that got him started. And so just, he, just a hustler, just really like. Yeah, in a, really a hustler with, with an amazing drive and a man who did, did work on a handshake. People trusted him because he was, mm-hmm. trust, he, he was a man of integrity. I mean, he would, you know, the Hispanic community that he yeah. was working with primarily, they didn't have credit. They didn't have, right, sure. you know, yeah. so he, there was, and I'll never forget this. There was a, one of his lenders was Keystone Savings and Loan. I think it was the Savings and Loan. Mm-hmm. And there was the, his, his guy there was this guy, Len Hyder. And my dad loved golf and they would play golf together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Len would go, Maurice, I can't give you the loan on that Garcia thing. They got, they don't show any income. How can, how can I lend them $4,000 to build this right, house? Right. And my dad goes, Len, I'm, I'm telling you, these people are solid. They work. They pay their bills. They're, trust me on this. Maurice, I can't. My dad would get to the next hole. Say, okay. This part three here, closest to the hole. If I get closest to the hole, you give them the loan. Okay. <laughs> and he, and he, they would do business like that. Wow. And he established a reputation. Anyway, he got, he eventually, they started cheating him out of his, his, his oh, commissions because he was the best. And he started oh, his own company. Oh, really? Okay. He became very, very successful. Oh, cool. And then had several okay. other careers after the, yeah, yeah. the crash wow. of the 80s. All right. So you're, you know, we, we, we got up to you being in high school and, yeah. and you know, you, you had interest in certain things, but not, not in school. And so did you had a, an idea of, what you wanted to do when you get out of school or like, where, where were you? Like just a lost, I just thought, I just was lazy. And I thought, I just want to be an actor. I think I just, you know, I started, I had success with my pantomime and I had success in, in plays. I, I played El Gallo in a, in a truncated production of the fantastic that was for a festival. Mm-hmm. And I can't sing, but I had the most amazing, um, Moody, we call her. She just died a couple of years ago and I've been in contact with her my whole life after high school and moody mm-hmm. was this amazing soul right mm-hmm. and um going to her class was she was just great and so i couldn't sing and we were she gave me a chance she gave me you know try to remember i just mm-hmm. I, I, could, I was just horrible 
And she gave me a chance. And then about like a week before opening, she goes, Marcelo, I have an idea. And, and she brought in three madrigals and a guitar. And they would sing the song. And I would say it, you know, Rex Harrison style oh, over, yeah, sure. over them. Yep, yep. It was a huge success. And, and I thought, I, I, you know, I think I can, I can do this. I think I can do this. And then, uh, I, I didn't have really high aspirations. I don't know. I was, you know, smoking a lot of weed and doing drugs and stuff. And I just was kind of is, living, living life, right? And just. Is this like the late sixties, early seventies or something? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is, I yeah, graduated yeah. in seventies. So. Oh, okay. You yeah, know, we yeah, used yeah. to, you know, drop acid. We used to just right. smoke grass. We used to do all that. And I was an artist. I had my friends were all artists and poets and things. And I, I, well, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't like really driven, driven, you know, I'm going to go to LACC because I had, I knew that it was a great academy for acting. Yep. Okay. And I said, I'm, I'm going to go to LA. You know, I could have probably, if I'd had ambition, could have gone to, uh, thought about something on the East Coast or, right. you know, one of the big schools or going to England. To, who knows? But I, I, I just didn't have that worldview at the time. So, so did you like, I mean, I know you said you mentioned the aspirations thing, but did you have influences in terms of on yourself as an actor? Were there people that you really looked up to and admired or, you know, whether it was your yeah, mom you know, I as mean, a kid that, or whatever, anyone else? It did eventually, you know, because I went to yeah. L.A. City College and was in that department. But still, you know, I, I was living this crazy life and just, I guess. You build character and, sure. and things through that. I don't think I was a very good actor back then. I, I can assure you I wasn't a very good actor. I was, I had potential, but I wasn't, didn't have it. And, and I didn't, you know, even at what city college, I didn't take total advantage of what they had to mm. offer. Right. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine your dad, who you, you describe as like such a hard oh. worker and just notes of the graduate. It's that. And then, you know, you, you dude, are, dude, just, he, I, I, he, he said, he said he wanted me to be a lawyer in his company, right? To, to take oh, care of all okay, that. Yeah. And and I, when I was in junior high school, I wanted to be a lawyer. And then mm-hmm. when I got to high school, that flew out. And uh, I, I said, Dad, I'm, I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to go to LACC and study acting. He goes, well, good luck with that. And he would have supported me in anything. He had the means to t- send me to the best schools. And, yeah. and so he took away, I think, but he, they did buy me my, my first car when I was in, a senior in high school. Okay. I think they paid my insurance, but that was it. And then I, yeah, I, I was on my own, you know, and I was. Like, been, well, and, uh, yeah, I want, I want to touch back on that, but that must have been, must have been so karmically ironic for him. Devastating. That, Devastating. You know, well, and also the fact that like, you know, his wife, you know, was an artist and actress and, you know, like he had to go through his own challenges with that. And then suddenly now his son wants to be an actor and, and it's just, you know. Yeah, the irony was not lost on anybody. It, it's, okay, so, so you so you said he they they kind of cut you off. Like, was your mom on board with this? Was she in well, my line mom, with him? Yeah, my mom was always supportive, but my yeah. dad had, had the purse the purse strings. Got it. Yeah, and so I just uh, went about went about my business, and I got married early at twenty three. I done I had done the play. The last play I did at LA City College was during the summer called Dylan, mm-hmm. and I play. I was just in one scene at the very end. There's a great beautiful touching scene and this ship uh, worker you know okay, sailor. and i was in that scene and uh, the woman who it would bring back professional actors to work with the uh, the students oh okay and, and so i eventually married that woman who was a fabulous actress and i remember you know working on on auditions for her with her for mm-hmm. you know tv stuff and all that and i just remember i was thinking i always with that man she's so good I am so not good. 
you know, I mean, the compare, you know, you know, Krishna Bordy said, can you live without comparisons? But I, I couldn't. I, I just right. thought, I am just not, she is really good. I'm just, I, I really admired her. And she was, she was very good. And so right after I left, I hooked up with Alejandro Ray, who was a big movie star. And he had been at the actor's studio. Mm-hmm. He was in the, you know, he played Carlos in The Flying Nun. Oh, okay, okay. And, but he, he did Moscow on the Hudson. He did some yep. amazing work later on in his life. Cause he thought, until he found the actor's studio, he thought he was a fraud always. He was this huge mm. international movie star. But he never knew what he was doing, he said. So he always felt like a fraud. And then he found the actor's studio and he, <laughs> My dad was having lunch with the president of Argentine Airlines and Alejandro one day and talking about business and things because Alejandro had a movie he wrote that he wanted yeah. to shoot in Argentina, wanted Argentine Airlines support. And if my dad did not bring up that I was an actor, but Argentine Airlines president said, you know, Tubert's son's an actor. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, have him call me. And so I called him and my friend Janine and I, we did a, a scene from, we just did a picnic. Uh, you know, well, I you played Howard. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I played Howard. You know, a mm-hmm. whole, uh, what is that line? I, I, I was well as a hole in the ground, Howard. I mean, some she's sort of like. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we. So he he said, "Have him come over because because I I wanted to get a part in his movie." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my friend Janine and I from City College, we went over to his house. Did the scene, which was horrendous, <laughs> and beyond horrendous, beyond or you know, I'm playing a guy. You know, I'm I'm 22 or something, 23. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the character is older. I'm playing the older character, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big man. And he starts directing us and starts getting these performances. And he got really excited. And because of that, he started an acting class. So John Saxon, Tina Sinatra, on and we we had quite the group of actors. And I became, he became like my older brother. He was my mentor. So do you feel like that was what solidified any, like, or was that the start of solidifying any kind of technique that you developed more than LACC well, LAC- because of your own, uh, well, what would I, how would I put it? Like the fact that you said you weren't really taking advantage of things at LACC as much as you could have, uh, and not necessarily that the program wasn't good, but that was it the, these classes that really started to you well, know, create the, your... I mean, they, I, I got a lot of technique at, at L.A. City College, you know, and I yeah. did Henry IV Part One. Oh, okay. And I, I played uh, I played Douglas and, and uh, Mistress Quigley, and then, because they, they wanted to do it as done originally, and then they, mm-hmm. they decided it wasn't working, so I just played Douglas in that, and not, and not a good production, but but so I got a lot of stuff at LACC, you know, about mm-hmm. makeup and voice and things. Mm-hmm. And, oh, okay, yeah. But I still was kind of living this kind of wild life and not paying too much attention to anybody, but uh, and taking advantage of it, right? But I was exposed to all that stuff, you know, a, t- yeah. a t- technique. Jerry Blunt, had a very famous college professor, who wrote a book on acting and directed us. That was his last production, Henry the Fourth, Part One. Hmm. And so I, I, I. Through, through osmosis, you know, I picked up a lot and I read a lot. I read a lot of plays. I, mm-hmm, you know, I did mm-hmm. a lot of really good things. And then Alejandro opened my eyes. So I was becoming more creative and mm-hmm. being aware of the creative process. And this thing with the actor's studio was really interesting. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ultimately, I found that it was not, as I started working later on, 
not really usable for TV, right? Mm-hmm. So you, okay. you get a co-star role and you have, you know, four lines. And right, yeah, of course. You're not going to – it just didn't work on a practical level for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I was exposed and got to work with mm-hmm. some amazing people and do some amazing work. And so it was something else that started coming, right? started coming. I started – my and then my goal – then all of a sudden I became to be, be a better actor tomorrow than I am today. That became mm-hmm. my – still is my credo, right? And, and, and so, like, I'm, I'm just curious, how are you supporting yourself, you know, like, post-college and, and as you're taking these classes? Uh... Terrible. I, I was a gardener. I was, I, I had every job. I was selling grass. I was, you know, whatever I could to get by and uh, unemployment. And it was a struggle until Alejandro hired me. He, he got hired to do a, a show, to direct a show called Via Alegre, which is on PBS. Okay. And it was a big, huge children's hit, bilingual. So I got, he, he hired me as his assistant. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, he, Alejandro was a, I learned so much from him. Two of the main things that I carry with me still mm-hmm. are, don't ever ask, was that okay? He said, there's too much at stake. People will tell you if it's not okay. It is needy to ask if you're okay. And you, I'm sure you see it. You might have done mm-hmm. it yourself. I, sure. I have to fight yeah. it all the time. Do never, you don't ask, was that, was that take okay? Or, you know, you have that run through, you ask, was that, was that okay? It, right. Yeah. So that was one big thing that the one thing. And the other thing that I learned from him was don't fight with the director. He was a, a very volatile fist fight on sets with kind of guy. Wow. Yeah. 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 And he says, just listen to them. And if you don't agree, just do your thing and just, just listen and do your thing. So those are two things. Anyway, he, in his volatile state, he got fired from Via Alegre, uh, uh, a few months in, because uh, he want, he was, you know, he, he had been studying film and stuff and, yeah. and, and he, he wanted to shoot this kids show on PBS, like movies, right? And they don't mm-hmm. have the time or the money. Right. And, right. and he was at odds as always with people. So the, the idea of like, don't fight with the director, do you think that was him? Seeing like bad as a director, him. how difficult he was, or, or yeah, you know. how bad it was for him and his and his yeah. career along mm. the way. How bad it was for him to be to get into fist. I mean, literally fights. Right, it was bad for him in his career. Well, okay, so now just so I'm clear, like when he would be fighting, it was he was he being hired as an actor, or yeah, was no, he no, the director? No, as, okay. no, as an actor. He, he, okay. he now he's he was. Later on, he became a director. Okay. And then he got, you know, he got fired from that show, but I stayed on on that show. Got it. Okay. And as a uh, dialogue coach. Oh, okay. And the, that casting director, Marilyn Granis, look at that name came to me. Sweetheart. She, towards the, I worked for like two years, I think, on that show, towards the Mm -hmm. end of the second year, she brought me in to read. I didn't have my SAG card. She brought me in to read for a show called, a PBS show called, Tom Wolf's Los Angeles that Tom Wolf had written. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so Alejandro at that time, uh, he was uh, also very into the uh, I Ching, I Ching, you know, throwing the coins and the books and the reading your future. Oh, okay. It's a yeah, Chinese yeah. thing. And so I was doing it too, you know. And, and, and so that day that I, I had this, uh, I was going to read for the Chicano gang member. Okay. And uh, that day my I Ching basically said, pull out the stops, don't hold back. Hey. Yeah. So I went in on Hollywood Boulevard, Franklin Avenue, just just west of Highland. There was a, a motel up there. 
Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Well, I remember it was on the second floor. And I was reading with the director producer of mm-hmm. the thing across a, a folding table. Okay. And, yeah. and I finished, <laughs> I finished my audition and I grabbed him across the table with both hands and pulled him <laughs> over the table. I said, if I don't get this fucking job, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I get arrested today. Anyway, I got, yeah. I got the job. Oh, jeez. And I got my SAG card. Wow. I, and I know I've heard this term, but I just want to clarify, like, w- real quick, when you were uh, a dialogue coach in the other show, that just means, like, you're running the lines with the, the, the actors, the performers, yeah, right? Yeah, the kids, that, especially the kids, but any of the actors that need help. And also, I was, I was there because I was bilingual. Oh, okay, right, 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 right. Yeah, so I, 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 that's, you know, that's why I got, I, they kept me on. So I, that, that was, was all fortuitous, right? Meeting a right. hundred of that, and then Marilyn Grannis, I'm getting my card. And, and so, yeah, I mean, with, with, with the audition, and, and I mean, I, I thought, I thought it was going to be something like within the context of the scene you did, but like it was, it was something it was after, after the, fact, the yeah. scene, man. And, and, and so now we, we shoot this thing in uh, Boyle Heights at this old synagogue. Right. I'm wearing this. I don't know why somebody didn't say something. This little dainty little like Cartier watch. It wasn't Cartier, but it was just yeah, yeah, little yeah, da- like that, on yeah. my hand. I'm a Chicano gang, gang banger. Anyway, we fast forward to the, they're going to show, they're going to show the film up in in that same motel room, oh, and, yeah. and 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 Tom Wolf is there in his white oh, suit. Wow. He's sitting behind oh, yeah, me. Yeah. I'm there with my ex wife, and, and he's sitting behind me, and it I give the worst performance you're ever likely to see an actor give. I remember there's a scene where I have to laugh hysterically. Yeah, and I couldn't do that. I I would practice laughing, and I you know this, to this, this day I'm, I'm I can laugh with the best of them immediately. Sure, right? yeah. <laughs> but I had this, it was it was this forced. Why the director didn't stop me? Mm. And and as this thing as as my scenes are on there, I'm just slipping lower, lower, lower into my seat. Oh, jeez. Because I can just see how bad it was. But it was the beginning. I had my SAG card, and the, I bought my SAG card. I bought my equity card, and I bought my after card all at the same time. Wow. Well, and 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 things could only go up from there, Marcel. And they did. Know. And they did. I, you know, I was curious. You know, since you you mentioned, you know, different or of color, never really factored into it. How how aware or like was it much of a shift when you started like going out for things, and they're like, oh yeah, you're going to be the Mexican guy, or you're going to be the Latin this, or, or what I mean, like, did you just embrace that? Did it matter to you? Did you care about it? You know, I, I did, it didn't, it didn't. Cause I, I imagine there's some, some kind of stereotype of like, Oh, you look like this. So we're just going to give yeah. you all these kinds of roles. So, you know, I went out for French waiters and, okay. and Spanish accented people and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and golden girls. I played mm. Estelle Getty's boyfriend. I got my first screen kiss. And my second screen kiss on that episode. I, I, I never thought of it that way. Well, mm-hmm. that's not true. Let me okay. go back a little bit. So just from the, a, 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 a learning thing, I, there were two other teachers that were highly influential. After Alejandro was Ed Hooks. Okay. And uh, I took a scene study class with him because I just happened to have gone to a, a commercial class with my wife. She went to a commercial class her agent had recommended and mm-hmm. uh, I drove her. And when you're there, he makes you perform even if you're just observing. And I was, even though I was just there observing with her, he made mm-hmm. me get up. And at the end, I was sitting and chatting with him. And I said, yeah, I'm not really a commercial actor. And he goes, why aren't you a commercial? And so I started taking his commercial class. 
and then a scene study class. And because of him, I had my first agent. Mm. And I used to do mostly Spanish commercials. Okay. But tons, tons. That would air in the U.S. or other yeah, markets? Yeah, no, all, all, okay. all U.S., yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then my, the, so that, that scene study class, and then from that scene study class, I went to Gordon Hunt's class where I was for nine years and some of my closest wow. friends come out of that class, you know, and uh, Gordon's, you know, I mean, Helen Hunt had just, she was a teenager and she was in class with us and he had a Wednesday class and a Monday class. We had a big rivalry between the two classes. And so Helen was And, and it was, it, it was scene study or? or yeah, scene, all scene study. Okay, no, yeah. no, scene study. Like new material or you, class you, plays, he, anything? Whatever you wanted, he didn't, he wanted you to take responsibility for anything you mm -hmm. did. And Johnny was John's last name. You know, from Breaking Bad, the, the really bad guy. John. Um, Wait, God. the really bad? Wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The really bad guy. The, with the, the bald guy. Who was in... Oh, my God, John. Sorry. Sorry for forgetting your name, my friend. Anyway, he, he was in class. And so was Art LaFleur was in the Monday class. All the, these guys became big time. And, the, and my friends became big time producers, directors. All came out of Gordon's class. Anyway. Do you mean the Hector Salamanca character? Uh, no, no, not a Hispanic. He wasn't the Hispanic character. I'm looking it up here. Now you've made right. me. You've well, that, made yeah, that was driving me crazy because I've, I've seen I've seen all the episodes. The guy with the ball, he's bald with the big ears and... Oh, uh, Jonathan Banks. Johnny Banks. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. John, oh, yeah, yeah so Mike. Yeah. Mike Irvin Trout. Okay. Right. So John, John was in the Monday <laughs> class. Yeah. I mean, Jesus. so we, it was a who's who. Anyway, Callan had come back from auditioning for Speed the Plow on Broadway. Mm, One, okay. for the first production and she had the wow. script with her and mm. we were able to we did myself and my friend nat bernstein who's now a big showrunner yep. three of us did a scene from that oh cool so it was an amazing class uh, we can get into that other that thing but i'm going to go back to the uh, the other question that you had just like the to... typecasting kind of thing or you, you know oh like... yeah so so you know i i, I the first agent i had Yep. I, I walked into his office without an appointment and I said, I'm looking for an agent. And they said, you're really good. He was known for day players, right? Okay. And he, you know, and he was a super, super nice man. And he eventually had me read for him. Mm -hmm. You know, the come back on, yeah, okay, come back on Tuesday and read. And he gave yep, me some yep, stuff yep. and I'm sitting across the desk from him. And as I'm reading and I get to this really emotional part, the, the phone ring, he goes, hang on just a second. And he answers the fire. Anyway, he takes me on. And um, so I started going you didn't, out. You didn't reach across and grab him by the collar, right? I didn't. I didn't. And <laughs> Probably so, a good move. Yeah. And so he takes me on and I start going up. A lot of Hispanic characters, although the first big part that I did was a recurring role on Simon and Simon as Dr. Mm -hmm. Suvi Raj. And I had to learn the accent, you know, but I was very, very good at it. And uh, I had a very good time with the boys doing that. For a couple of seasons. But in conversations with Alejandro, because the bane of his existence was his accent. So mm. I would work with him hours and hours. He did for, like, I remember uh, Moscow on the Hudson and mm -hmm. other films he was working on. He just wanted to get rid of it, but he, he couldn't. He couldn't. And, wow. and, and so one day we were just sitting around smoking the doobie and he goes like, you know, you do not speak with an accent. You should change your name to Mark. You know, I go, yeah, Alejandro, that's a good idea. I think I'll do that. So, <laughs> because, because I was trying to get more generic because I feel mm -hmm. I yeah. don't speak with an accent. I look like right. this. I'm playing, I play Dr. Suviraj, you know, I play French waiters. Right. So I changed my name to Mark, M-A-R-C, to, mm. there's still certain casting directors and like Jimmy Smith still calls me Mark. Oh, really? And uh, I've worked a lot with him. And, uh, I, 
I never responded well to it. You know, to people like Mark, you're, you're, you're on now. Mark, Mark, I go like, what? Oh, 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 yeah, I'm coming. Yeah, that's me. And oh, I always right, would go yeah. like, no, go ahead. Call me Marcelo. Call me Marcelo. So uh, I changed it after four years. So that was an attempt to, I guess, to, to find myself in these situations where I want mm-hmm. to be, I want to read for everything, right? And, you, you know, I know, I know we skipped over it a little bit, but I did notice your, at least what was listed as your first TV job was on that show, Heart to Heart. <laughs> and, I mean, that, that seems like kind of a big deal and a big scene because, you know, you're opposite Robert Wagner, Stephanie Powers. I mean, do you, do you remember like getting like the audition, getting the show? Like, do you, do you like, where was, were you, you just have nerves? No, you have no idea of the fucking panic. I almost quit acting after that. Oh my uh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I raised up a D who directed that episode was a friend of my ex-wives and a group of friends that we used to hang out with. And I think he just cast me. I don't remember okay. auditioning for that. Okay. And so I just had, I don't know if you ever saw the little episode. I really have two lines, you know. Yeah. Yep. Mr. Mr. Mrs. Hart, good to see you. This way, please. Yep. So four days before doing it, I just would go over the lines over and over and yeah, over. Yeah, in the, the shower, lines. over and over and <laughs> yep, over and yep, over. Yep. And I got on the set and we were at Universal. It was one of the really big, big sound studios where they had created that hotel in Columbia. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so... And it was just going to be, uh, Razor comes, it's going to be just one shot, you know, we're going to, on action, you just, they're going to come in, you're going to greet them, pass to the camera, blah, 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 whatever the camera was doing. And I said, okay. And okay, let's, uh, let's reverse one and uh, action. Mr. and Mrs. Hart. <laughs> Cut. You all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. Uh, okay. Let, let's try one more. Let's do one more reversal. And action. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hart, uh, could not, I, God, <clears throat> Robert Wagner grabs my hand with his two hands, looks into my eyes, doesn't say a word, but just like, it's going to be okay, kid. It's going to be okay. And, all right, let's, let's try one for real now. And action. And I did it. I think we did two takes. Yep. I went out to my car. I just started crying. I really? Thought, I just thought, I can't fucking remember two lines. Wow. I've done whole plays. I've done leads and whole plays. Mm. I can't remember two lines. I can't do this. I'm horrible. It's, I'm, this is not for me. Wow. It, the sheer panic of it. I, I just, it, you know, I had, I had a panic attack, really. Yeah. As I look back on it, it was, a, it was a horrendous, moment in 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 my in my soul and, and i mean i know obviously you know l- looking back things can even compress time but how how long did it take you to kind of get get through that and get well, over the next, that Just, the next job was easier and it was a quincy yeah. you know I, I had a little more to say not much but mm-hmm. but i did have more no accent did, did you find you were you know even the little time you were on set observing you know, the regulars or the stars, like, you know, what are they doing? You know, were you looking at that? You know, that or? first time, I just was like a deer in the headlights. I was like, yeah, of course. I had no idea. Yeah. Eventually, you know, something that I developed is I, I'm always on the set mm-hmm. way before I need to be there. I want to check out mm-hmm. where I'm going to be working, the thing. I want to feel the mood of the crew. I want to feel the mood of the actors. I mm-hmm. always, mm-hmm. Che- before my scene comes up, I want to, I always 
check that out. Mm. It's kind of my standard practice for, for many, many years. You know, things that you develop out of sheer, just of doing it so much, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, at this time where, you know, you're starting to do some work, you know, in TV and film, you also, were you, you were doing more theater in Los Angeles as well, because you did that production. You were started working with, you did a production with Stages Theater with Paul. Yeah. Verdier oh, yeah. And, 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 and Ionesco, Eugene Ionesco. Monsieur. Yeah. So, so, so we, did he, was he there? Was Ionesco yes, like, it, yes. wow. We hung out with Monsieur wow. and, and, and Madame Ionesco and Norman Seif, the amazing, you know, director and photographer. If you look mm-hmm. him up. We have, I have pictures. Oh my God. I gotta, sh- I gotta send you some of these. We got together one day and, and all of us in costume and Norman bought a bunch of booze and shit. You know, he was shooting covers for the Rolling Stones and the, wow. you know, and we, we shot the session and this, I have pictures with the SUV and Nesco. I, so I started once I started. Well, let's see. So this was happening. I went to work for my dad eventually. Oh, they, okay. where, where things were really bad for me. Just it was after it was after Via Alegre and okay and, and so like my, late seventies kind of in there before before yeah, the TV work started yeah, just, yeah okay. well, they, the TV work had just started but okay. I was tired of being poor my dad offered an opportunity and I went into the corporate mm-hmm. world and uh, you know I worked my way to executive vice president in charge of you know I was running wow running the purchasing and the and the the supervision of. T- 250, 300 condo unit constructions and stuff like that. Wow. And hating every moment of it. And, uh, you know, I got my ear pierced during this, this time because I had to remind myself I was an artist. Oh, sure. Yeah. And that was right before meeting Ed Hooks and starting that class. So I went okay. two years. It was the first, the only time I went two years without acting. Mm, okay. So you weren't doing anything. Just, Not at, just for two years. Wow. I, I, wow. And I worked with him for seven. And that's, and that's tough, especially like being in LA too. It's like, it would be one thing if you were just like, you know, in the middle of nowhere and there's, there isn't an art scene, but you're in Los Angeles. I'm in Los Angeles, though. I'm an unhappy marriage. I'm making tons of money. I have apartment buildings. I'm driving a BMW and it's so unhappy. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And at a certain, so I start working more and more as an actor towards the, well, I, I'm back in class with Ed Hooks and by 82, 83, I'm in Gordon's class. But yeah. I, I, I get to a certain point where I'm, I'm getting divorced mm-hmm. and uh, I, I go to my dad and I said, here are the keys to the BMW. Here are all my credit cards. Thank you so much for this beautiful opportunity you've given me. And, but I, I'm an actor and this is what I, I'm a big boy now. Mm-hmm. I got to do what I got to do. I don't know what's going to happen. And I jumped off the, the ledge. Was it, I mean, you know, it sounds like there may have been a number of factors, but. Was it, you know, the, the, the marriage or, or anything individual that you were feeling was really kind of lighting a fire of like, I've, I've got to, I've got to do something, you know, a little bit more proactive here. Yeah, well, I think, I, I think I had started the classes was one. I was starting, okay. I've been working as, I, I started, you know, a bunch, doing a bunch of TV work. So mm-hmm, I was working mm-hmm. as an actor and I thought, no, this is, this is what I do. And I'd gotten right. better. I'd gotten better. Yeah, Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's also, uh, really cool that, you know, like you were saying, like you were so directionless as a kid, but you know, like probably a lot of people, you just need to find your way of learning and your path so that like now you had kind of locked onto something that you were really ambitious about. Yeah. And you know, all those, you can't regret all those other things, miss opportunities, because that's what makes you, makes me the person I was, right? Sure. All those life experiences and difficulties made me the, 
the person I am. Yeah. And that I became. So, and so that, so then I, then I started, you know, I started this, this kind of second part of my life and met Lori and it was fabulous. And, and then the thing that ultimately changed my artistic life, mm-hmm. because I was, you know, we were just, we lived in a, a little, a little bungalow. We were, I was paid $420 a month and we were having a great time. Lori would go off yep. and do regional theater. I'd go off and do regional theater. We didn't have very much money, but I was so much happier. I had lost mm. everything in my divorce. Oh, everything. Wow. I started okay. from zero. Zero. I lived mm. in my car for a bit. I mean, I really started from zero. And so I was in a building stage, but just, you know, we were just so happy. And then my, my friend, who you may know, Lillian Grogue. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> I know the name, at least. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so yeah. One of the founders of Antius. Yeah. She said, was kind of responsible for my career just as a human being is responsible for my career and theater and, and everything said, Hey, you know, I, I do this thing called looping and there's this job coming up on a movie called Malagra Beanfield Awards. And they need people who are bilingual and can do accents that a New Mexico accents in, in English and speak Spanish. Are you interested? I go, yeah, well, you know, I've looped myself. She goes, yeah, I know it's not that. This is all kind of improvised. I go, mm-hmm. yeah, put me down. So I got my first looping job and happened, you know, Robert Redford was in the room directing all the ADR. Oh, cool. It was very nice. And that's, that moment changed my life forever. Really? Yes. Because all of a sudden I was good. I'm good at improvising. I realized, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so this woman, um, who hired me to do that, the loop group leader started hiring me, mm, you know, okay. and I forget what the, I think a SAG minimum at that time was like 480 or 520. And all of a sudden I was doing like 20, 25 jobs a year. Wow. With okay. I thought, oh, oh my God. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and it, I could still do the other thing, mm-hmm. but look at the money. Oh my God. <laughs> right. And so I built a, a, a built a looping career, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which gave me the flexibility to say no mm. and gave me the fuck it adjustment that if I auditioned for this role on whatever right. and I didn't yeah. get it, I had two jobs lined up for the next couple of weeks. So, you know, eventually I was like doing 60, 65 jobs a year. Well, I'm not doing as many. It, yeah. So, I mean, like, did, did you... Did you at that time know that you wanted to, you know, stay involved in TV, in film, in voiceover, in theater? You know, had you kind of mapped that out for yourself or were you just like, well, whoever's going to hire me, I'll do that? I don't think about shit like that. <laughs> I'd never plan. I just don't think too much about it. I don't know. I just, okay. I just how I'm made up, you know, I just kind of kind of. It's the 1970s, Marcelo, still, still, still tracking through. Yeah, you know, I'm just an old hippie and I never, you know. I don't have, I, I don't think I've had the career I, I maybe mm-hmm. imagined I would have. Yeah. And every time I, I say I might be disappointed, my wife slaps me, you know, because she says, you know how many people would love to do what you're doing? So what mm-hmm. I've managed to do in 40 years is be a working actor without having to be a gardener, a, a waiter. Right. So I, I, and I, you know, I've raised two amazing kids. We live in a beautiful house. I, I live a life that I am proud of mm-hmm. without having come. I've been very close to having series regulars. I've been the lead in pilots, I, things that haven't sold. 
Mm-hmm. But, they, you know, I just continue to work. And so my goal has been to just continue to work. And so I'm not, uh, so I haven't had a series. It could happen tomorrow. You know? Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I wanted to ask about the, the relationship thing because it sounds like, okay, so you, you had two marriages and both to actresses. And what do you feel like you learned from the first one that, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this differently. Or was there anything from your parents? Like, you know, you said your mom saying, we're not going to try. We're actually going to do this. So, yeah, you, know, you know, were there things that, no, because I know, I know sometimes the dynamic between actors, especially if one's career is in a very different place or there's any insecurity about what you know I can do versus what she can do or whatever. So, I mean, you know, how, how do you feel like you were handling that differently in, in the second relationship with Lori? Well, Lori is an amazing human being because she, you know, when the, the kids would complain about, oh, daddy's got to go, you know, for two mm-hmm. months. She goes, mm-hmm. hey, suck it up. This is what we do. We're a showbiz family. Yeah. You know? And so we, Lori and I are all about each of us doing our own thing and being mm-hmm. supportive. Mm-hmm. And so... You just can't ask for anything more than that, right? She, and, and she's made it, she made it clear to the kids, you know, that, you know, this is what we do. We're actors. If we go away, daddy goes, doesn't mean, I mean, I, a, a, an example of that is when I was going to go off to do Lillian's play at Yale Rep, Ladies of the Camellias. So every time I go off to do a play, I lose money because all that, sure. loop, thousands yeah. of dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not available. Yeah. Then it takes a while when I get back to right. get in the loop of it all again. And I'm making 720 a week. All that, right? But mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. so excited to go to this production at Yale Rep. And my, my, Emily, my oldest, who was, I want to say maybe nine or 10. Let's see, you know, we were at this house. So she, she was 10 or 11. Lori's swimming laps in the backyard and mm-hmm. Emily's just crying, unconsolable, snotty crying, you know, with snot dripping mm, off yeah, her yeah, nose. Yeah, yeah. No, dad, you can't go for two months. You love your work more than you love us. Oh, <laughs> you know, one of those, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and, and just to backtrack, you know, Emily's a straight A student and, you know, honored. Mm-hmm. I mean, just everything, right? She's, she's like her mom, super, both my kids, I mean, especially Emily was like the super, they're both super brainiacs, like, like yeah, Lori, yeah. who's cool lauder and, Everything that I wasn't in school, she was. So, so Lori swims over to the side of the pool, goes, Emily, what's the matter? No, daddy's going. Daddy's going for two months. He doesn't love us. She goes, hey, Em. What, Bob? <laughs> you can go with him. <laughs> what? <laughs> really? <laughs> I can. Okay. Okay. <laughs> she just, that's how Lori is, right? Emily ultimately yeah, yeah, decides yeah. she's not going to leave her world to go be right, with right, daddy right. in Yale. I, I couldn't live any other way. My my first wife mm-hmm. was not as supportive of my work because she was a little snobby about acting and frustrated about what she didn't have and all that. Mm-hmm. But, but, but it gave me a sense of freedom about traveling about the world and, mm-hmm. without her or whatever. But Lori is all about about no this is this is what we do you right know? just a very like kind of pragmatic practical approach to it and and that that it's yeah it's a job and, and supportive and this is, yeah. Yeah. yeah and we support yeah. each other i support her she supports me because this is my this is my job you know it, it's i'm just a regular guy who acts that's my job yeah so there's nothing people go oh it's so glamorous and it's all this and, and does Lori do a lot of the same kind of stuff that you did does she do voiceover does she do she does theater some, yeah TV? I mean okay. she Lori um is a writer and director I mean she mm-hmm. 
has written amazing radio plays. She was the head of my friends were running the Gene Autry Museum Radio Theater. And when they stepped down, they handed the reins to Lori. And Lori wrote and directed a bunch of radio plays, including adapting F. Scott Mamaday, who's a Pulitzer Prize winner, winning writer. You know, she adapted a three-hour play of his into a one-hour radio show. And so she's amazing, and she's an amazing writer. She's at the Antius Writers Lab. Oh. She's directed theater. and Have you guys ever collaborated together on a project? Yeah. Yeah, I give her always give her a hard time so she doesn't like working with me. I've gotten better, though. <laughs> I mean, she says, do you do that with all your directors? I go, probably not. But she directed me in three or four of the radio plays. And she, oh, okay, and she was cool. amazing. And she just wrote a piece for me that she may be developing. And I said, write something for me. And she wrote something for the lab that's just fucking amazing you know you you brought up the lady of the camellias and i was curious about it because you know here was something that it you know you came back to it 15 years later you know playing the same role and you know i'm just curious a little bit like what was your experience of of returning to that part i mean obviously your origin you, you originated the role I did. you know and then did it subsequently kind of short shortly after the original production and then you're bringing it back. What was it like coming back into that world with a with a totally different cast, right? Like, you know, because every time you did it, it looked like it was different, different it cast was different members cast. except for you. It, yeah. Yes. Well, and we had a, a couple of holdovers the second time we did it at the, at the colony. colony. Yeah. yeah. Melinda Peterson, who played the original oh, right. okay, yeah. was in that production. It, it was sheer joy for me. Yeah. Because it was a character, you know, we, we had talked, I think, before on the phone about instincts and stuff like that. When... I, I got to audition for the first time for this piece. I, originally, I was never ever going to do that piece. They, mm. they had Lillian had developed the the piece, and they had the theater that was called the West End Playhouse, which was run by Michael Bell and Victoria Bell, mm-hmm. Michael Bell of voiceover genius status. And the guy that had played Flavio Ando, which was Eleonora Duz's leading man, wasn't available for the opening week. Because of some other commitment. So they wanted an understudy. They, they didn't say that. I just had an audition. I had done a play. Sure, I had yeah. done a terrible play that Lillian directed, but we had had, we had cemented a friendship. So she yeah, brought me yeah. in to read, but I was never going to play that role because they, mm-hmm. they had spent, I don't know how long she had spent in developing at this, you yeah, know, for yeah. a year and developing the play with this other actor. And she, you know, she's loyal. Yeah. Well, sure. I read the sides for this thing. I didn't have to do anything. I was this guy. Wow. I thought, I know this guy. This is, and he, you know, he's this vain, over the top Italian leading man who'd just rather be looking at himself in the mirror, you know, and yep, yep, yeah. it hit me, it hit me right here, right? So mm-hmm. I went and read what I did in my reading. I, I probably did opening night, you know, I mean, 80% of what I did in my reading. Yeah, sure. And then Lillian said, you, you really fucked us over. We cannot not cast you. And they had to break the news to the other guy. Oh, wow. And that's how that began. And, and the other guy was Javier Bardem and he's okay. Yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's, he did yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so it was the instincts sometimes are so strong about a yeah. character. And so doing it every time I've done it, mm-hmm. that guy just surfaces. You know, he's there. The the, mm. the, the blocking changes and my other ideas come because you're working with a different right. director. Or uh, although Lillian directed the first two productions, no. And and I and I know obviously you've done a wide range of of work. You know, on screen and 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 certainly voiceover and animation and 
drama and comedy and all this kind of stuff. But I was noticing, you know, of your your theater roles. You played uh, that Pepe and El Grande Circus and the Sea Captain and uh, San Francisco Pan. And then even like, you know, I, I went back and I watched a clip of when you were on Jane the Virgin. You know, this this guy who was, you know, supposedly cursed or whatever. And, you know, just just looking at those roles and, and you seem to get a lot of, at least particularly with the theater roles, a lot of attention, a lot of kind of notice for that work. Is there something that appeals to you with those parts? Do you feel like you just really kind of lock in with those types of characters? Each one is so different, right? I just, yeah. And I, I don't, I don't have the luxury to say, well, to, I don't get, people don't send me scripts and then ask me if yeah, I want to sure. do it or not. You know, I mean, yeah. for, for the most part, I, I, I right. in the theater world, sometimes, yes, Lillian, right. Lillian will say, Hey, I want you to play this and I will, yeah, yeah. you know, I will follow her. If she says, jump off of here. I will jump off and I know I'll be safe. But even still, even if you do a theater part, not everyone kind of clicks the way that it seems like yeah, you know, certain, I mean, certain characters did with you. Certain things just, they just speak to me. They just, yeah. you know, they're, they're the writing. There's something in the writing. Well, and, and, and obviously, obviously, like, you know, you can't, you can't play the buffoonery. Like that's not an active thing, but, but it's almost like, I don't know. Do you, does that appeal to you? Like these characters who are so over the top and ridiculous and just like, they're so, like it's just you can't help but laugh at them because of how ridiculous they are. Yeah, I never laugh. I'd never laugh at them. Right, as a character, but yeah, I, right. I, they, they do. There's something that <laughs> about the, you know, uh, Dusa said about Flavio Mando. He's beautiful. He's stupid. He's beautiful, but stupid. You know, there's something about characters who are not. They're just not really aware <laughs> of right, right, how right. silly they are. But silly, I have a really big silly bone in me. Okay. So you, yeah, you, you, you see like that's, that's a way for that to kind of, you know, come out a little bit more than, yeah. you, you know, on NCIS well, or anything. Well, like but that, then, but know? then I, you know, I played, I play these serious roles it, that, sure. that, that just also speak to me. I, I, I just, I kind of throw myself into every, whatever comes my way. I have to, I have to make it the best possible. Right. And right, so right, right. I rely on my, my instincts to tell me what this is. Right. What is, yeah, yeah, what yeah. is this world this guy lives in? And what is he? You know, I just, I, and I find my way into those things by just kind of putting myself in that world. And then all of a sudden I, I kind of am around in that, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's an, it's, I, I rely heavily on my instincts. Well, and, and I want to, I want to touch on that really quickly, but I was curious when I watched that scene from uh, Jane the Virgin, I was, I was very curious, was, was Raul Julia at, at all kind of an influence with that part? Did you feel like, cause I was watching that, I was like, I was like, I could see a little bit of Raul Julia no, in there at all. Okay, I don't no, ever I think curious. of other actors that when I'm no? doing my stuff. Okay. I, I, it, it's so, my process is so vapid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I mean, I don't, not thinking a lot about, you know, other actors or, or a certain thing. I, I'm, you know, if it's a comedy, I'm looking for the comedy in it. What is it that right. makes this funny? You know, and right. then it's sometimes. When I, I'm not thinking about it, it's, it's comes out. It just, mm. cause I, that, those, you know, those, com my comedy chops are huge. They're strong. They're strong in me and I, I trust them. And did you feel like that was developed over time yes. or that's always been okay? No, yeah. I, I think it's been there somehow, but it, it, I, I tell you, I'm a better it, actor than I was, you know? Of course. Yeah. But was that through the classes that you learned? Everything. Like, yeah. Through yeah, looping yeah. and looping is all yeah. improvised. When I did, mm. El Grande Circus of Coca-Cola. It yep. was the only show I've ever done, film or TV, that, well, except this last commercial I did, where I didn't have any kind of butterflies in my stomach before going on. Mm. I was so secure on who this, who I was as Pepe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and the developing that. And I was given free reign to improvise. So I'm, sometimes I added 10, 15 minutes to a show, much to the consternation of the producers and stuff. But, but, but because it was so hooked in, I was so yeah. hooked into that guy. Right. And, and so I, and then, so then you trust it and you just do it. Now, okay, we were talking about instinct and, 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 you know, whatever process and technique, you know, there is that you use. You had sent me this audition, this recent voiceover audition, and just for, um, kind of NDA purposes, we won't disclose what it was, but it's, uh, it was for an, an animation or, or video game. It was a video, a video game, game, right? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you, you get this, you get, there's a little bit of script, there's a little bit of character description. And, but, you know, you were telling me beforehand that like you felt, really good about this audition so i was curious if you could kind of walk me through a little bit like you know okay this jump this lands in your email what do you do yeah and do, do you, ha- you, do you have the this? description uh there andy yeah sure just, sure because so, read me the what it says about the the character description so he has a mid to deep and somewhat rough or gravelly voice but can be smooth and cadence preferably oh wait his speech is often almost cat-like and purring Think rolled R's and drawing out of words, a la Eartha Kitt's Catwoman character. Yeah, so that was kind of the key for. So those are the things that Harvey. Br- I don't. I don't do impersonations. I don't do copy. I can't do that shit. I don't. It's not what yeah, I'm yeah. good at. <clears throat> but it, it, I found that that the, in the in the and I don't have a hugely deep voice, you know, normally. Okay. But I can I can get it down in the ear, and I like that. Get a little gravelly, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. and then he's straight, and it's just. Uh, so I just found a couple of places where I could do that little stretchy thing. And, yep. and, and so I just gives, gives me an idea. And I thought, well, I want to play with that. And I don't spend a lot of time. <laughs> I probably should spend more time, but I didn't get the role, by the way, but I, I, I love my audition, <clears throat> which happens a lot in voiceovers. You mostly don't get them, but that just kind of gave me a hint of with the graveliness. I'm not going to try, I'm not going to try to Im- imitate Bardan or any of those people they mentioned. Yep. I don't, you know, I don't even. I, I just try to find my own thing. Where can I find a word to, to, I didn't really roll an oar, but I, I kind of stretched a word and I like yep. the idea of the cat-like thing. So that gave me a thing mm-hmm. about a rhythm and how maybe he talks and, uh, you know, and, and so I, I did that a couple, I did a couple of different takes and then I listened back to it and I thought, Oh my gosh, that sounds really good. I liked it. Mm-hmm. And I sent it off to the agent and then I said, Hey, I really like this. And he goes, yeah, that was really good. And here's the actual audition Marcelo sent in. I want to make this right. I will make this right. <gasps> I just want to finish my nap first. Yes, yes. Scale the unscalable wall, pick the unpickable lock, evade the unblinking eye, blah, 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 blah. I thought you said this would be something new. There I was, staring into the silver eyes of the dragon atop the ice spire, my sling comrades strewn about me and the princess screaming, and I realized, uh, uh, but speaking of silver, my cup is dry, and recalling my deeds is thirsty work. Who wants to buy the next round, huh, you? <laughs> And, and, and so like how, you know, how do you kind of reconcile and maybe you've gotten to a certain point with this of you feel really good about the job, but then divorcing yourself from the 
result of getting the job and booking the project. This is, okay, this is a Gordon Hunt thing, and this is a sports thing, and this is a life thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's all about the process. Stay out of the results. You have mm-hmm. no control. You have no, after the audition, whether it's on yep. camera or a voiceover or whatever. And, and I mean, there are things that I want. I want, I really yeah, want to get them. And yeah. Yeah, I try not to think about it. Sometimes they creep in. But basically, after you're done, the audition, you're, you're done. Yeah. You know, they could decide they have a, his, his uncle has that, is that guy. And so they want him to do it. Or, you right. know, he reminds me of my uncle who I think is a shit. So I'm not, you know, whatever. So, yeah. so I, that, that is such an important, important place to get to i think for mm-hmm. for artists and 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 we we su- we suffer as artists you know i mean actors uh, in particular about all the things we don't get right mm-hmm. and and really all we have is the process and it, it's you know my daughter was a golfer you know mm-hmm. golf or, or any sport they talk about you got to stay in the moment mm-hmm. you got to stay out of the result stay in the moment because that's all you got. And anytime you start doing the other thing, you're going to be tortured. And and do you feel like that also helped you, you know, once you heard that from Gordon, you know, take things less personally? Yes. Um, I don't take yeah. things personally. And Did you it, ever? Or was that yeah, just never oh, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and yeah. it's taken years. I mean, it's taken me a lifetime of, of being an actor yeah. to come to this. It isn't something I came to. Or that I had. No, no, no. Oh, my God. Like walking out of auditions and thinking, oh, my God, that was, why didn't I just, if I had only, but, mm. you know, you know, shooting yourself, I pretty much have stopped doing that. I, I, I you know, 95% of the time I, I walk out of auditions going, yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, I could book yeah. that. Yeah. I, I, it, but, it, but it's been years of in the coming. I mean, right. I, I wish I, if I mm-hmm. could tell my younger self one thing. As an actor, back when I was my twenties and early thirties, it would be that 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 it's going to happen. No, no, no. Or, that that, no. that stay out of the results. Yeah, okay. Stay with the process. Stay with the process. Stay with the process. And and I mean, I I know sometimes you know kids they necessarily don't want to hear what the other person has to say, but what have you tried? Have you tried to impart additional things to, to Sarah? Since I know she, you know she pursues you know acting and and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I mean, is that the same? Kind of thing, or is there additional stuff that you're hoping that? No, no, no. I, I, you know, I tell her the same thing because, uh, you know, she's young in her career. She's been reading for some big, big things. She's up for things Mm -hmm. and uh, she, she hasn't gotten the really big ones. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just remind her that she has no, there's so many reasons why you don't get a role. And, and then every once in a while you'll get a role. So, so no, no, these things I'm able to share that with her. But I can see how hard it is for her because, you know, she's young, you know, she's late twenties and it's, it's, it's a hard thing. And she's, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult concept. I just have lived, you know, I've been fortunate enough. I've lived it and I've, I, st- I make a living, right? So it's, it may be easier for me to say that I'm in, a, I'm in a place, you know, financially where I don't have to worry about. Paying bills. I don't have to, mm-hmm. you know, it's taken a, a, a lot of years, right? To work right. and stuff. And so if you're, if you got to pay your rent and you didn't get that job that would have been the thing that keeps you at Starbucks or, you know what I mean? Right. It, it's a different deal. And that's, you know, back to the looping that that 
changed yeah. me because I didn't have to depend on getting that job. And so I, right. it freed me up to not care. Well, and, and as you, as you pointed out, I mean, like there were those two years where you, you did something else, you know, you, yeah. you had to pay the bills and you had to. You At that, those two years, I was making a lot of money in the corporate yeah. world, but it, I wasn't so unhappy. Right, right, right. Of course. I, but I, I, I got to ask one, where did the fly fishing come from? Like what, how did that become your, your go-to hobby? Just another random moment in my life, right? I'm eight years old, first vacation with my family in, in, uh, that's another story of, I could love to tell you this the whole story. Anyway, we're in Yosemite yeah, by, with, okay. with some friends of ours, other Argentinian family. We're all sleeping in the station wagon, camping. And uh, the, the, the older kid of the other families, like five or six years older, has a fishing pole. He takes me to the bridge on the Merced River, which is the river that runs okay. through the valley of Yosemite. And okay, in those yeah. days, you, you could fish off of there. There were lots of people fishing. I look down in this crystal clear water and I see trout. Mm, and something okay. happened in my heart, man. That my heart sped up <gasps> like adrenaline, right? So we didn't catch anything, of course. And uh, mm-hmm, but I, mm-hmm. I, from that point on, I had my parents um, start buying me outdoor magazines, outdoor and fishing uh-huh, magazines. Okay. And I started, I taught myself because they don't fish, you know, and they love the outdoors, they don't fish. So I taught myself to fish and they would take me to Echo Park Lake down downtown Los Angeles when I was yeah, like sure. 11 and 12. They dropped me off for three, four hours with a fishing pole. And uh, so I started doing that. And so I fishing was just like amazing. You know, I, I had a break in fishing in my uh, the 14, about 15 when I discovered girls, 15 yep. to 17, you know, it was not cool, but I didn't fish for <laughs> a little bit. And then when I, when I was 20, I was hitchhiking in Argentina I had gone back from my grandmother's wedding. And I oh, was wow. in the... It, Wait, your grandmother's wedding? Yeah, she... she oh, well, she, oh, good for her. She, my grandfather died when I was eight months old. And oh, uh, wow, she had okay. been a, a widow for 20 years. And uh, she met a man. And I, I was 20 years old. And I, I sold enough pot to finance a trip. <laughs> Can I say that on this podcast? Yeah, to finance, sure, a, finance a trip to I Argentina? I think the statute of limitations yeah, yeah, has yeah, probably yeah. run out on that. I don't yeah. do that anymore. And But I financed a trip to Argentina. I was, after the wedding, hitchhiking all over Argentina. I'm down in Patagonia. Hitchhiking. Oh, cool, I meet yeah. a fly fishing guide. Eventually he, he invites me to his fishing camp in the middle of nowhere. And he's a fly fishing guide. And he, he, you know, he tried to teach me to fly fish and I'm wearing his girlfriend's boots, which are killing my feet. And the wind is heavy. I'm using these big weighted, um, nymphs for those people who know yeah. fly fishing. And, yeah, and, yeah. and, and they keep, st- I keep getting them stuck in the back of my head on the forward cast. But I was hooked on fly fishing. And so now I'm going to go Saturday, as a matter of fact, for a few days. Oh, cool. It is, and it is my, I don't know. It's your medical. Uh, yeah. It's, because you know what saying? happens when I fly fish? I don't think about anything. Yeah. There's no other thought. I don't think about work, my wife, my children. I think yeah. about where I'm, the, the, the current, how my fly is floating, where the fish yep. might be. Why aren't they biting? Why are they biting? You know, so it, it sends me into a, into the soul. happy place oh, yeah totally and and did the cooking was that something i know you also are big into <laughs> cooking like did that dovetail with the fishing no. like you just started no because to, you, like, you know i catch and release i don't catch 
I don't, oh, okay. I don't keep fish. Well, you, I mean, wait, you've never, no, you've no, never no, no. cooked anything? I've, yeah. I've, I've killed enough fish for a lifetime. I used to waste it. When I was a kid, we used to go to Lake Arrowhead with my family, and I'd catch enough yeah. fish to feed eight people. No, no, I, I don't have a problem. It's not a, it's not a moral thing. With the, sure, it's because yeah. I, I fish. But you do cook a lot. I yeah. cook a lot. Uh, we take sardines when we fly fish. You know, we eat sardines uh, and things. Oh, okay. So the yeah. cooking thing came out of because I love to eat. Ah, From the okay. time I was came to the United States, I would make Sunday breakfast fried eggs. My dad taught me. The only thing my dad can do was, was fried eggs. My dad yeah. can't cook. And, and so, and then my first wife was an amazing cook and okay. I learned a lot from her and I just have developed my instinct. I'm an instinctual cook. Mm, okay. I, I use recipes as a guideline. Do you, do you, I mean, I, did you have a, uh, like a go-to that, you know, like, all right, I'm, this, this is one of Marcelo's specialties or. My, you'd have to ask my kids, so, you know, they, they, yeah. they, 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 they're things that I make, I guess that but I just made the last couple of days, some stuff that just was just crazy good. But yeah. I just, I just, I get inspired, you know, by a product or something that I see on Instagram or I think, yeah. oh, I can do that or make it better. Or I look at my refrigerator and I go, hmm, ooh, I got an idea. And that's what I, it's like, it's like, it's like doing a grande circus of Coca-Cola in the kitchen. <laughs> and well, you know, ho- hopefully it just doesn't take 10 or 15 minutes longer to prepare the meal when everybody's already hungry. You know, you're just, well, just continuing to vamp. You know what? They're just going to have to wait because good. You make some, you make some chimichurri, you give them some chips, some wine. Yeah, and you, just, you just hang on here, have an old fashioned and let's, let's, <laughs> uh, let's uh, have a little drinky poo and then uh, we'll eaty poo. Awesome. Marcelo, thank you so much for, for chatting today, man. This was really awesome. I really appreciate it. That's cool. Cool. Man. It was, it was great to hear, yeah. uh, a lot more about your story. And there was a lot I know and it was, it was fantastic. Yeah. I don't so know if we you. talked a lot about acting, but I, oh, we did. We did. We ca- well, we covered all of it. I mean, you know, yeah. your, your career has been an actor. So yeah, it's all part I, of it. I, I love my job, by the way. I, I love what I do. I'm, I'm happy. I love when I work. I love when I play. So I'm, I'm pretty oh, much, awesome, you know, into, yeah. uh, gratefulness and, and gratitude for everything I have. That's right. I remember seeing, like, you have this quote that you, that I see, I would, I would see pop up in, in, you know, bios and things like that. What is, what is the quote that you, you live, know? live simply and remain grateful. Mm. Which is, you know, for people who just can't live out of your means. And I have a great wife for that. You know, when we, we, we were struggling financially at the, at certain times in our lives, she go, you can't spend any money. Okay. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so I always live within my, my means and, uh, yeah. and remain grateful, yeah. right? Because yeah. that's what we got. And yeah. uh, I, I actually love my life. Well, I, I'm thrilled to hear it. And yeah, good advice. So thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Hey there, this is Nathan one more time. Thanks so much for checking out the episode today. Please remember to subscribe so you don't miss anything ahead. If you enjoy what you've heard, please let others know. Write a review, post on social media, send an email, tell your entire acting class, or just a friend. I sincerely appreciate it. You can tag us at WAJ Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. We're also on Facebook and YouTube. I'd love to hear what you think of the show. Be sure to check out WorkingActorsJourney.com for our show notes with additional info and links mentioned in this episode, as well as all the episodes. We've got 25-plus interviews and 12-plus workshop presentations. Sign up for the email list so you're the first to hear about upcoming projects, workshops, and much, much more. Thanks again to today's guest and to everyone that makes these episodes possible. And a special thanks to you for listening. I'm Nathan Agan, and enjoy the journey. Yeah.